Ethiopia is Africa's second most populous country. There's been a struggle for dominance for the last few hundred years, being occupied by several different political parties. The most recent war comes from 2020, when Abiy Ahmed decided not to hold the national election. The Tigrayan People's Liberation Front decided to hold their own election. Now Ethiopia's government, the Ethiopia People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, has decided not to recognize the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. Tigray is seeking independence, but with that could come regional destruction. Tactics of war are being deployed. Many are forming coalitions. The international community isn't stepping in. What's to come of Tigray? And what would happen to Ethiopia if Tigray became independent? With us is a Tigrayan activist who's had lived experiences on the ground and wishes to share his story. I was born and raised in Tigray, in uh, northern Ethiopia, where the war is now taking place for over a year. And uh, I did my bachelor's study, studies in Ethiopia, and I moved to Norway as a, as a master's student, and I now currently live in Norway and work, work in Norway. Do you mind telling us about your family that's in Tigray right now? Have you heard from them? Yeah, so my, my parents, we are like the six siblings, and my, my, and my parents, my parents lived in a farm, a small farm in central Tigray, uh, like about uh, half an hour drive from a town. And uh, the area was occupied by Eritrean troops for eight months. And uh, the last time I talked to my parents, they were displaced. They were not home and the house was destroyed. Uh, our main house was shelled. And, uh, and my mom had somehow sneaked into the house at some point and she said, everything within the house is gone. Like, uh, like even our photo frames, memories, like everything is gone. Um, our garden had been destroyed. Like lots of our trees, like fruit trees were, were cut down and all. And we, I, I also know that uh, a lot, as I, I told you earlier, many people have been killed and so there has been a lot of trauma. But the area, the area is now liberated. And I think, I hope that my parents have somehow managed to get back. And they were staying somewhere with a, with a family member uh, by the time, but I don't know where they are. And I haven't heard since, I haven't heard from any one of my family since the 10th of June. That's uh, what I can say. Okay. It has been under full communication blackout since June, so there's no, there's no way to know. That's so devastating. I'm so sorry. I hope that they're doing all right. And um, yeah, I just hope that they're safe and that they're doing all right. Can you tell us a bit about the conflict that's happening in Tigray and Ethiopia? Yeah, okay. So this is a very complicated uh, story to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, massive in its scale. It is um, taking place in the dark uh, and it's very limited information coming out uh, from, the, from the region. And the, the story behind why the war is taking place is also very complicated. So the simplest way to, to say uh, about the simplest thing, thing uh, to present the, the, the why the war is taking place and how, how it's taking place is to, to present it like this. 
the war is between historically diverging uh, people with historically diverging points of view regarding how the Dayton state should be organized. On the one hand, you have uh, regions and uh, groups that, that that are interested in uh, establishing an Ethiopia that is decentralized with more regional autonomy. And on the other hand, you have parts of society which wants uh, centralized, more like nostalgic to the past, centralized authoritarian kind of state, which uh, which has the difference between these groups has resulted in wars before. Ethiopia has historically been a centralized state and um, groups uh, or uh, ethnic groups and members of society who are, who are interested in more autonomous regions have fought the central government for a long time. And we had wars in 1970s and 80s, which culminated in the uh, in the overthrow of Mangusu Haile-Mariam, uh, dictator by the 80s, uh, in 1991, with the capture of Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, with, uh, by, the, by the rebel forces at the time. This war is, to, to a large degree, an extension of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen, with, with the coming of Prime Minister uh, Abiy Ahmed into, uh, to power in 2018, we have seen a relapse of the Ethiopian political system to to, to that more centralized authoritarian kind of uh, kind of system, even though there was so much hope that this guy would continue the, the same uh, federal decentralized system, and we have seen uh, we have seen it relapsing in our in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important to note for maybe some listeners that don't know is that Ethiopia was never colonized as well. So there was always a real sense of um, nationality and pride, but there's also been a real sense of struggle between which political power would be able to rule and which party. And uh, the TPLF, for those of you also who don't know, they ruled Ethiopia for close to 30 years um, after they defeated a communist leader, Colonel Mengistu, who was famous for launching the, the Red Terror campaign, which was just pure bloodshed for a few years. So the TPLF yeah. ruled for 30 30 years under a strict, harsh, harsh dictatorship. There was uh, wars, lots of impoverishment within Tigray, Ethiopia, and Eritrea, and citizens began to protest and revolt, uh, which led to the, the demand for new government. And when Abiy Ahmed was um, first put into power, he was actually put into power by the Tigray with help of the Tigray party. Uh, it was intended that he was going to continue on with their party rules, and, and he started kind of um, shutting those down. But um, as we see lately, he's reverting back to those uh, ways that Tigray might have ruled with at the time, those more authoritarian dictator ways. So what did the 2020 elections mean for Ethiopia and why has it caused such an issue? Yeah, so I think that the 2020 election shouldn't, should be seen in the context of wider, wider political processes that were taking place at the time. So as you said, the Abiy Ahmed Ali was, was brought to power with the help of the, the Tigrayan party in the hope that he will continue um, the federal system that was introduced in 1995, which for which many people asked wasn't imp- uh, implemented properly. Many people demanded that it, it actually gets implemented. The Oromos, for example, were questioning the way the federal structure wasn't uh, actually as, 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 it, as it was intended in the 1995 constitution. And the, the support to Abiy Ahmed comes from this point of view that he would he would continue and implement the federal structure as he was intended. But from the time he came to power, you could see that he was he was actually reversing the system. He was going back to the 1980s kind of style where you have Addis Ababa the center controlling everything. So in the process of doing that, he had to to postpone certain important uh, events like the election, for example, in order to to maintain 
power in order to, to be able to, to get a space to do the return to the 1980s kind of style. Mm -hmm. So uh, even uh, so, the election was postponed. Uh, on um, on the reason for the post -post postponement of the election was the like the immediate reason uh, presented was the COVID pandemic. But we, we could see before the outbreak of the pandemic. Uh, that there was no preparation, as as we we have seen before, there was no preparation for elections. There was no debates on TV, or that, there were no debates about the election. So we could see that the election was going to be postponed. Mm -hmm. But then the pandemic came, and then that was just okay. Then we have now a pandemic to deal with. We can't uh, host uh, host election. But then regions have authority. I mean, the, according to the 1995 constitution, regions could actually uh, have their own councils. They could they could uh, they could run. That their regions were better on their own rules, and Tigray and the Tigrayan population demanded that the Tigray region hold hold its election in in May, but it, it couldn't happen. But they had to set the date to to hold the election, and then it was held on the 9th of September last year, mm -hmm. and that kind of sparked uh, even greater tension between the central government and the Tigray government, each other blaming and not accepting the other's legitimacy because. Because the federal government saw the holding Tigray holding election as a threat to the power, and the Tigray government could also also start saying that the federal government doesn't have any legitimacy anymore because mm -hmm. the election period has passed. So that was what what, uh, what what took place before the war, and then right after the election, you could see that the federal government suspended uh, all budgetary support to Tigray, mm -hmm. and the, the Tigray government of course responded like, "Then we are not going to pay to." send the taxes that we collect from, from Tigray. And Tigray has been one of the uh, central, like uh, strong regions in terms of like collection, collection, collecting tax for the federal government. So that's uh, that's where the election comes. But the election should be seen in the context of the broader changes that were taking place. Right. And is it, am I, am I getting this right? Is that out of all the ethnic groups in the region that the Tigray ethnic group is the largest? Is that correct? No, no, it's actually the third largest uh, region third largest, third largest region in, in terms of population so they almost are the biggest uh, region in the country it's the biggest in terms of population in area space and the amharas are the second biggest right but the almost the almost have sort of a similar kind of demands at the grands in terms of like uh, um, entertaining autonomy almost want want more autonomy even to the extent of independence of course but they are supposed to not do that. Mm -hmm. And Abby's yeah. RMO, right? Yeah. So, so that's also where where they, where all, all this comes from. So, or Abby, Abby's coming to power was supported by um, regions like Tigray, which uh, which uh, entertain like more autonomous kind of governments, uh, and he was supported because he you know, he was an RMO, and he uh, and the RMOs had the demand that they want they want more autonomy, they want a prime minister that that uh, takes into consideration their their interests. And the hope was that Abi would, would support Oromias and other regions' um, autonomy. Mm -hmm. And uh, after he got into power, you could see his power base was shifting from regions that supported him for his federal support for federal structure to regions which which, which are interested in more centralized and authoritarian uh, authoritarian kind of government. Like, for example, traditionally, the Amhara region in Ethiopia has been supportive of dictatorial authoritarian kind of states centralized states because for for historical reason and urban ethiopians also also supported abi and his his you could see in front of your eye you could see the shift in terms of uh, his power base from from the federalist the centralized kind of ethiopia interest groups to, towards the centralized urbanist 
Amhara kind of um, power base. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see that now. It's um, it's quite a, a turn for someone who won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. So why do you think that he won't recognize the TPLF as the ruling party in Tigray? Yeah, so this is also part of the broader change. So the right after he came to power to the prime ministership, the premiership, and he as part of the, the, the controlling power over the regions, controlling, like reducing the power of the regions, he started toppling regional governments, heads of regional government administration, regional administrations, and replacing them with administrators that, who, who are accountable to him, to him that the regional councils. And uh, he did that to all the regions except the Gray. And he couldn't do that in Tigray because the TPLF had stronger support in Tigray. It had powerful party. It has been part, part, powerful part of the central government. So it has a powerful political elite. It has po- powerful uh, political um, uh, yeah, po- po- political power anyway. And they couldn't. He couldn't. Do, he couldn't change uh, the the head of the region or the the government of the region as, as he did in other regions. Tigray was the last block of the the, the last stone unturned in terms of. Realizing, uh, materializing this uh, centralized, uh, centralized Ethiopia, an Ethiopia where the prime minister could assign anyone as the head of uh, head of the region. Tigray was the last block that, that was left, and uh, he tried to to, pers- to to pursue that, like the ch- changing of government, in in many ways. But it didn't. Uh, the government didn't succeed. The federal government didn't succeed to do that. Mm-hmm. And all of the like the extension of the like, postponement of the election. All of this suspend, suspending budget and all was to pressure the, the PLF to, to subdue, to give in, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't happen, and that's also where where the war comes from. And so, what's Tigray then fighting for? Are they just trying to become recognized? Are they trying to become independent? Well, initially, I mean, like in, initially, for example, in the nineteen eighties, the, the war in the nineteen eighties, Tigray fought for. Uh, more autonomy, more uh, self self determination, self governance, and uh, the with the establishment of the 19, with the introduction of the 19, 1995 um, constitution, mm-hmm. the hope was that uh, Tigray would have self governing rights, self administering rights, and more autonomous kind of statehood, and that's what's promised in the constitution. But now we have seen that the last 20, 25, 26 years. We have we haven't seen that materialized to the extent that it was it was intended, but now people also realize that we could actually do that. We 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 could push for our right to keep our like for example the regional government could be elected by our, by ourselves. We could uh, we could have, we could have our government. So the the war in the initial phase of the war, people were fighting for the same rights, the same rights of self determination and mm-hmm. self governance that they they hope the constitution would protect. But as things go go through throughout the war, we could see. I mean, you have probably noticed the the level of human rights violations, the level of atrocities mm-hmm. that, are, that are committed, the the the, the, the rape and sexual violence, mm-hmm. the destruction of properties. I mean, it's you, there is no report that can capture the extent of destruction that Tigray uh, incurred through this war, and this is systematic. It's not like a residual effect of war, mm-hmm. and. Uh, as a result, you could see, I mean, it's a, it's not even a growing sentiment. It's a full sentiment among Tigrayans that this war is about war of independence, mm-hmm. for, including myself. I don't see 
I don't consider myself an Ethiopian anymore. Mm-hmm. And that has, that, that, I mean, this changed a lot in, in the last many months, uh, throughout, throughout the last year. So if I, th- I think the last, the last section of Tigrayan society that is still convinced that we can continue with Ethiopia is Tepelia, the party. But the population isn't isn't there. The population wants independence. Many many like I I, I often chat with friends. I I communicate with other people, and the sentiment is the same. We, people want a uh, free, independent Tigray, and that has uh, that that should that should be realized. I think okay. there is no way Tigrayans can consider themselves as Ethiopians, given what they have been through for the last one year. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of add to what you were saying, uh, Ethiopia and Eritrea, who's become its ally uh, more publicly lately, they've used starvation, media blackouts, killings of civilians, and widespread sexual violence as acts of war. It's intentional to try to get the Tigrayans to collapse and and, uh, go towards their movement. Uh, 60,000 have currently fled into uh, Sudan. There's thought to be more, but it hasn't been reported on yet. Two million have been displaced internally within Tigray. On November 3rd, there was a joint investigation released by the UN's main body, main rights body, and Ethiopia state's appointed Human Rights Commission that reported all sides in the year-long civil war had, quote, committed violations of international human rights, humanitarian, and refugee law, some of which may amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity. However, this report was only um, dictated between November 2020 and June 2021, and the ethnic or this ethnic uh, civil war began in November of 2021. So the report hasn't even covered what's happening now, and we have all these statistics of human rights violations from previous to when the war uh, you know, officially began. But what would it actually mean for the entire region if Tigray were to become independent? Wouldn't the other ethnic groups also want independence? I think I, I should start from the, from the report that you mentioned. Okay. Because I mean, uh, I don't know if you follow the social media interaction like about the war in Tigray now, but since the uh, since the beginning of the the, the commissioning of this uh, independent, I mean the joint commission between joint investigation between the Ethiopian Human Rights uh, Commission and the UN Human Rights, Tigrayans have been clear about that that they, we don't want this kind of investigation. It's going to wash, whitewash. The scale of the crisis, the mm-hmm. scale of crimes crimes committed in Tigray, and and it's exactly as we feared. The report reflected the same fears that we had, and um, it's one of the, the, the one of the challenges that we have now is that despite both sidedism in in terms of reporting, in terms of like condemnation, and the report just does that. It's condemning both sides, all all sides, without going into clear clearly investigating what happened in Tigray. And uh, uh, you might have seen like the, from the statements by, the, by Michel Bachelet, the head of the UN Human Rights, where they mentioned that they, they haven't been actually to Tigray, where we have seen horrific scenes of uh, human, rights, human rights abuse, like v- videotape uh, hanging and killing and burning of people, where we have seen uh, massacres like that killed neighborhoods, villages, like wiped out uh, villages and neighborhoods in Tigray. And this is, I'm talking from a report, from the reports, like reports by journalists, reports mm-hmm. by human rights organizations like the uh, Amnesty International and the Human Rights Watch. But there is immense, uh, like countless uh, massacres that, that haven't been reported by mm-hmm. anyone, mm-hmm. which I which I personally know. For example, my, my the village where I grew up, like, 20, 25 people were killed within just a small village. 
like our my neighbors my uh, my schoolmates and uh, all, all like all kind of people from from my neighborhood and this is not just specific to one place it's across Tigray and we also know that western Tigray west of the Takaza river has been cleansed like literally like uh, over a million people have left western Tigray mm-hmm. and their home if you go on um, on google earth satellite image you could see that the village in western Tigray are all burned down Mm-hmm. And the report doesn't show any of this. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the bombings, with aircraft, uh, like towns, entire towns where blanket shelled, but w- there's no report about it. So the investigation report in itself is problematic. It doesn't cover any of the, uh, the, the, the crimes that were Do you think it's in part because the Ethiopian human rights body was part of that investigation? How can they provide an unbiased report? Yeah, exactly. So that's also why we were pushing for an independent, non-Ethiopian, non-partisan, non-party to the conflict, to some 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 organization, some mechanism to be created, something like that. So the reason is the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission is an agency of the government, the regime, the very regime that's committing all the atrocities. And how do you expect the regime to report on crimes that it, it, it committed? Mm-hmm. How can you expect mm-hmm. a commissioner that was appointed by by the prime minister himself to to report on crimes that the prime minister the prime minister's government committed mm-hmm. and uh, and and of course this has the, the war has an ethnic dimension and the Ethiopian human human rights commission and as every institution in the country is against the, the people of Tigray this is not about Tipele this is not about a uh, certain political elite that that they wanted to, to change it is about it is it has an ethnic dimension and we have seen that you can't just wipe out, um, like uh, cleanse an entire subregion because 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 they are because they are to pay. They are not to pay. They are people, ordinary people, farmers who have been displaced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it has an ethnic dimension, and all the institutions in Ethiopia they don't have any representation. Tigrayan representation, in them. they don't have any any uh, person or any entity that can talk on behalf of the Tigrayans, Tigrayans in the Ethiopian institutions. And that's exactly what the Human Rights Commission did. Mm-hmm. It, it, it represents the regime's, uh, regime's point of view into, into the report. And I'm sure that was intentional because of the d- uh, deep history yeah. that uh, the RMO, Abi's party, or the, where his ethnic group comes from, and the new leadership that t- took Ethiopia in 2018, to the historical relationship they've had with the TPLF. I'm sure they intentionally didn't place TPLF or Tigray people in uh, prominent positions because they they didn't want their voice included. Uh, they are not Oromo either. The, mm. I mean, the the federal government is now almost an Amhara government, mm-hmm. and the Amharas have historically been pro uh, centralized, pro autocratic regimes. Mm-hmm. The, the, the monarchy in the nineteen like before the nineteen seventy four and the the nineteen eighty eighties junta, like the the, the Mengistu junta, which killed millions of people mm-hmm. and. And uh, like the the head of the Human Rights Commission is, for example, in Amhara, and the Amharas are fighting, and the Amhara militias are the ones who occupy Western Tigray now, mm-hmm. and they are the ones who committed horrific crimes, atrocities in Western Tigray. And how can you expect someone with that kind of uh, political position to, to 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 do a right kind of investigation, neutral investigation in in this in this kind of situation? Mm-hmm. And 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 of course, I mean. I, like you said, it's not it's not almost. The almost have been sidelines uh, sidelined after after Abi came to power in 2018. Yes, he had the support of almost. He had all the opposition groups from coming from abroad, 
coming into Ethiopia to join to, to into the political movements, but like one year later, everyone was arrested. All the formidable or, or opposition personalities are in prison, either in prison or they, either they have been killed in prison or they have joined armed struggle in Western Oromia. So this is this is like an urban Amhara kind of uh, state that we have, and that's that's super biased, super determined to get, to to wipe out populations that oppose centralized government. Yeah, and I would like to say what more can be done or what more can the international community do, but it's difficult for the international community to um, convene because there's been major media blackouts. They will arrest anyone who opposes them. And then, of course, famously, uh, in September 2021, the federal government kicked out seven UN officials for poking their nose around the Tigray region. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think the... The international community has miserably failed mm-hmm. in when it comes to this crisis. First of all, I mean, it has a lot of reasons. Uh, for the first few months of the, the war, it was very hard for Tigrayans to tell the stories and to get accepted, to, to get uh, listened by, by any international body, uh, to tell the, the, the scale of horror that our families were going, were going through and, and to, to get hurt because the Prime Minister has a license, the license of the Nobel Peace Prize. And everyone would assume like, oh, this is a prime, uh, Nobel Peace winning Prime Minister. How can he How can he carry out something like this? It's unbelievable. We can't believe it. And uh, including, this was by everyone, including Antonio, Antonio Guterres, the, the Secretary General of the UN. And it took a lot to, to convince people that there, there was actually atrocity, atrocities taking place in the mm-hmm. guy. There was systematic destruction of the, the region. And it, it took humanitarian organizations going into the guy to get any report, uh, any sensible report about what was going on. Like MSF had to go in and see for itself uh, the, the level of destruction in, in, in the guy. And then, of course, you have shocking reports after shocking reports. And every time something shocking uh, happens every time the pressure pressure from international community builds up abi creates another shocking uh, situation for example you have uh, in the beginning it was the war but you have horrific cr- crimes reported for example we had uh, aksum the, the 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 killing mass killing in aksum and then just when the reports about it uh, started coming out we also get another more horrific crime that just overshadows the previous the previous uh, right. reports right. and it's the same with the un the expulsion of the un officials it has nothing to do with the un or the the un officials poking their nose in in the in the, in the affairs of the state it is to to shock the world even more to, to overshadow all the, the the crisis before it all the reports about that to diffuse the, pr- the pressure and it's the same thing happening. Like today, just before before I logged in to, to, to talk to you, I saw reports of like, um, I think it was 12 UN officials in Addis arrested, detained, mm. and their families and all. And that's, it says it's it's because they are Tigrayans, but it's the UN, they are UN officials anyway. And that's, by creating this kind of shocking uh, moments, uh, the, the regime is trying to diffuse the pressures pressures that were, that were building up about other crises. For example, the expulsion of the UN officials in September was because there was a lot of pressure from the international community regarding the famine. And the famine story is now gone. But mm-hmm. the, the, the reality on the ground is there. People are 
people are dying every day. People mm -hmm. are starving today, and people are in the hundreds dying because of lack of access to basic medicine. Like people don't have paracetamol mm -hmm. or any basic medicine. So uh, I don't see I don't see the expulsion of the UN officials as because they are they have been um, uh, inter interfering in the in the affairs of the state. No, it is to just shock the world, shock it, shock them even more. And then you, you see that from bombing cities to to expulsion of you know officials and to arresting more. Yeah. Yeah, you raise a you raised a lot of good points, of course, but you raised a really prominent one in that people are forgetting about the famine that existed prior to the conflict that's currently ongoing. There was already millions affected by the famine that was happening throughout Ethiopia. People were already displaced. As you mentioned, farmers, there's also a severe drought that affects the country that no pe people aren't talking about anymore because he's, he's distracting the public by having these shocking revelations so, so close to each other. But it does seem like he's exercising every form of power that he has by detaining anyone that's speaking against him. So what does it yeah. mean that he's declared the state of emergency and what powers does that give him? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this would have immediate effect on Tigray itself. But as Tigray has been under siege for a year now and uh, nothing has changed and it's only, it's only gotten worse. But with the declaration of the state of emergency uh, last week, the the government has more rights to to do whatever it wants. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we see the detention of like rounding up and yeah, like the, they are not on the reports international media, but we hear that there is like mass executions of civilian Tigrayans who lived in Addis, in, in Addis and elsewhere in the country. Like just just last week, there was a professor of chemistry at the Bahadur University in in Amhara region. He was just shot outside his his home because just because he was Tigrayan. And it, it gives the regime more, I don't know if it uh, gives it, but it, it kind of allows it to take, to, to take any measure it, it wants. And it's, it is doing it. Like now, in the last uh, week since it was declared, we have seen detentions of like thousands and thousands of Tigrayans from, from Addis and being sent to concentration camps, like mm -hmm. in remote places, like in, in the Afar region, one of the most inhospitable places. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we also see uh, confiscation of properties uh, owned by, by Tigrayans everywhere in, in the country uh, in the name of uh, supporting the army, in the name of uh, um, uh, contributing to the defense of the country, which is, not, which is, which is bullshit, if, mm -hmm. you, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives uh, the state to, to uh, right to take more, more measures, but it would have done it anyway. I mean, the Gaians have been going through this kind of situation since the start of the war. Mm -hmm. uh, like, n n no, uh, I mean, it is quite a struggle to get out of the country as a Tigrayan, mm -hmm. to, to fly out of the country. It is quite a struggle to, to get a job or to, to maintain whatever job we have. And over the summer, we have seen a closure of like uh, close to 100,000 businesses, including small household businesses to hotels and and all transportation kind of businesses. So, so, so it just gives it more, more power, more rights to take whatever, whatever measures it wants on, on civilians, on Tigrayans. It also puts the civilians at higher alert as well, too, because now they might be on the lookout for people they know that could be Tigrayan. It's, it's a witch hunt. I mean, yeah. since the, since the declaration of the state of emergency, people are the social media scene in Ethiopia is horrific. Like to, to read. Like uh, ordinary Ethiopians writing, uh, tell tell the police that it's Tigrayan next to you. Tell 
do whatever you want with Instagram. You can kill them. You can you can torture yeah. them. You can like people are actually literally literally torturing the clients. They are they are lynching them on on streets in squares, and we have seen that happening everywhere. And uh, the state of emergency gave even more of that right to to citizens to take uh, matters to their own or to their own hand and to take more measures on on civilians, on other civilians, on Tigrayan civilians. That's terrifying because it reminds me of what happened in Rwanda. It was the same kind of ethnic cleansing between two different ethnic groups. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, this is, this is outside the uh, Tigray region, but it has happened in Tigray, within Tigray, when mm-hmm. it was under the control of the, uh, the army, mm-hmm. when it was under the control of the Eritrean and Ethiopian armies where they had a uh, state of emergency declared and they could shoot anyone mm-hmm. that moved out of their home to just to, to buy uh, to buy water, whatever, in the, in the evening after six o'clock. So we have seen killings of civilians across Tigray for the, for the eight months when Tigray was under, under, the, under the control of the armies. And that's happening in Western Tigray, in the dark. Like nobody knows what's happening, but we see bodies floating the, down the river into Sudan, mm-hmm. uh, bodies of Tigrayans that were tortured and killed yeah. in Western Tigray. I've seen under, some under videos. The, it's yeah. just devastating. It's, it's, it's just devastating. The state of emergency for Ethiopia allows anyone who's of age to be conscripted. Uh, it has yeah. asked veterans to become re-enlisted and anyone that has arms to take up the weapons. Uh, Abby yeah. even encouraged Ethiopians to, quote, bury their foes with our blood and that, quote, dying for Ethiopia is a duty for all of us. Um, yep. which just seems to be an impossible statement, seeing as, you know, when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize, he said, I truly believe peace is a way of life, war as a form of death and destruction. So it's, you know, it's been one year, and now he's saying it's a it's a duty for all of us to die. It, it seems like, an, it's, it doesn't seem the same man. Yeah, no, well, I mean, like, well, I think he has managed to, he has successfully, in the beginning at least, he has successfully managed to conceal uh, the real him uh, for, for, for people to, uh, to see and he has managed to I mean, to the extent of winning a Nobel Peace Prize uh, and he has managed to, to do that and and for for an ordinary Ethiopian for, like like me or I used to call myself Ethiopian at the time for an ordinary person you could see I could see that he had a double kind of personality the way he presents to for example international media the way he presents to, to the Ethiopian public in a certain way and the way he presents to, for example, to uh, an ethnic Tigrayan, I could see, I could see the hate in him. I could see the the way he addresses Tigrayans in his speech, starting from the day of his inauguration as a prime minister in parliament. You could see, uh, especially from from my expertise, I could see that this, the kind of discourse that he was trying to, to, to convey to Ethiopians. For example, he said like, "Ah, oh, we could we could do revenge on Tigrayans, but we don't want to." We, we could do revenge on the PLF. That's what that's how he presents it. But we don't want to. If we want, in a way, implying that if he want, he could he could do that. He could he could do revenge. He could revenge on 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 the PLF and Tigrayan. And for, if you are careful, observer, you could see it from the beginning. People don't pay attention to the, to the details unless it causes something painful. And uh, and we we started seeing it when it started like when when he started killing. People when he started arresting, uh, detaining opposition. And yeah, so you realize that later, but you could, for a careful observer, it was already there. He had that personality. So do you think that his perception within the country or within the region is beginning to change? Because it's definitely changing in the international community. <sighs> yeah, so the region is, 
problematic. Like the the region where Ethiopia is located is very very problematic. You have, you're surrounded by very fragile uh, countries like like uh, Somalia, like Eritrea, like um, Sudan, both Sudan, and the, the only like same country I can imagine is Kenya at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Kenya has a lot had a lot of interest on Ethiopia before before the war and until and until recently. And they had investments like in telecom businesses and all kind of investments that they were interested in, and that had pre- that had prevented Kenyans from seeing what was happening in 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 Ethiopia. And the fact that the African Union is based in Addis also made it very difficult for Africans to see what was actually happening. The African Union actively downplayed the crisis itself instead of instead of uh, taking corrective measures instead of instead of calling for intervention from global actors the african union actively prevented for the world from seeing what was happening and the the head of the au actually endorsed the war he 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 publicly endorsed the war like saying the Ethiopian government took the right the right kind of measures to 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 subdue to cry and that's uh, that's where the, the problem lies, and we have, of course, the Eritrean regime, which is also part of the region, part of the East Africa region, and the Eritrean guy is um, happy about what's going on in Ethiopia, and he he is actively contributing to the war, and he's he has deployed most of his his army in in Tigray mm-hmm. for 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 many months. So that's that's, that's uh, the challenge that we have in in the region. So as someone who's watching from abroad, I see that there's actually two very divided. Um, accepted norms of what's happening in government. One of them is our government is good. We were never colonized. We're the part founders of the African Union. Strong sense of nationalism. The other side of what I'm seeing is people are disagreeing with their government. They're condemning their government internally. Um, it just seems that it seems it's extremely divided and it, it's hard to know how the people really feel yeah so i probably i am on the second part of this but i i don't i don't object that ethiopia was never colonized of course that's also uh, that's also part of the, the rhetoric the, the ethiopian narrative that that keeps um uh, subjugated populations within the country under under the radar under the control of the nationalist um, state and it prevents ethiopians from seeing what they are what they are not seeing Mm-hmm. And uh, it has made, made made it very difficult for Ethiopians to question the state. And I am from the second group because I I am now subject to, to the state's uh, brutality, and my, my entire family is under under siege and all that. So the, the divide is real. There is no doubt about that. The divide is real, and the divide is between people who are begging the world to stop a war. And be people who are sort of actively supporting the war, yeah, like you have, like how do you allow uh, the government to, to arrest your neighbor and send them to like remote concentration camps where you may never never see them? Mm-hmm. People are allowing that. They, their neighbors are getting arrested. They are set, getting sent to uh, concentration camps. They are getting executed, and people are not minding about it. That people don't care, and. In the worst cases, people are supporting. The people are rallying around the state's propaganda to 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 uh, to, to achieve this. So, it, for 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 people who are um, suffering f- 
from the brutality of the state, it's really hurtful to, mm -hmm. to see the, the entire country ganging up and trying to, to kill your own family, to, to, kill, to kill your own members, family and friends. Uh, so in that sense, it's I, it's very irreconcilable. irreconcilable. Like I can't see any way of reconciling this kind of uh, divide. I don't know what what it would take to to get back to some kind of normalcy. Yeah, you're right. It's very divided. Well, you talk about propaganda, but it's interesting because a lot of people have been protesting about the U.S. or the Western media's perception of the news. They're calling it fake news. They're saying that what's being reported in the West isn't accurate. Where do you think the U.S. is in all of this? Could they be doing more? I think the U.S. So the U.S. Have, uh, had the U.S. has a strong uh, diplomatic and like uh, historical diplomatic ties with Ethiopia, which it doesn't want to to, comp to compromise. Mm -hmm. And but they also realize that the, the regime that they are collaborating with is committing like horrific crimes, and they have been juggling between. Uh, condemning the, the 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 crimes and and uh, maintaining their diplomatic ties with Ethiopia, and and that has prevented them from going to more decisive actions, uh, pushing for more in, like intervention, more sanctions, more diplomatic pressure to to put the state to force the the state to, into dialogue. About the media, I think, yeah. So imagine like. The whole region has been under blackout. No, there was no like now we have a TV. We can watch TV from Tigray, for example. But there was no TV alternative media, Ethiopian media, broadcasting anything about Tigray. There was no newspaper from Ethiopia writing about what's going on in Tigray. And everything that Ethiopians in Addis or everywhere in the country hear about is from from the, uh, the government media. So you have like a year of very hateful. Uh, downgrading kind of uh, propaganda by the state, uh, like demonizing the Tigrayans, dehumanizing the, the people who are fighting for their life mm -hmm. uh, and presenting them in that way. So whenever uh, Western media, like, I don't know, they say CNN, but CNN wasn't the only media that was reporting. So you have like Reuters, for example, writing an article, investigative article about Tigray. They would see this as, a, as fake. Mm -hmm. Many of them intentionally, intentionally is calling it fake because they support the war. But also, people just caught up in the propaganda war, uh, propaganda by the state propaganda, and thinking that anything alternative to the, to the state news is uh, fake, which is which is not new to Ethiopia. I mean, it's it's not uh, unique to Ethiopia. It has been going on like we had we had that in during Trump uh, mm -hmm. Trump years in in the US. Mm -hmm. We have that everywhere in the world. Uh, you, you could you could see that from the right wing part of the spectrum of politics. Uh, People tend to go to towards nationalistic rhetoric and um, blaming the others, blaming the, the the outsiders and the others for for everything that the country is going through. And it was I would have I would have been ha very happy if CNN was reporting fake. I mean I know the reality on the ground, and CNN isn't doing uh, anything fake. They couldn't even they couldn't even cover like one percent of what, what was carried out in Dubai. They couldn't even cover a fraction of the destruction and the, the horror that people have that people have been through and just to, to say that western media is exaggerating the crisis is it's just bullshit mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't make sense 
I think people are, I think their sensitivities are acutely heightened because of what just happened in Afghanistan. Both the Western media and what I've seen, Ethiopian residents and citizens are saying, we aren't Afghanistan. So on both sides, I see a lot of parallels to what's happening. I was reading that the U.S. is threatening to pull out of a trade agreement, which would become into which would come into effect in January 2022. The U.S. has already pulled out non-official uh, personnel from the country. But what would happen to Ethiopia if the U.S. were to pull out of this trade agreement, seeing as a large part of um, there's a huge economic gain from that? I think that I will start from the from your clarification about like how. how how Ethiopians claim that Ethiopia is not Afghanistan. Yes, it's not Afghanistan in a sense that it's not a terror, like a terror regime that's coming back. And uh, it's, not Afghanistan, it's not Afghanistan because we're not expecting a Taliban kind of government to, to, come, to come back, uh, to come after, after Awi. But also it's Afghanistan because we are, like the regime is committing all kinds of crimes on, on its citizens. It's trying to starve millions of people today it's trying to to kill people of like curable very easy easily curable communicable disease because of like lack of medicine so that, that we are afghanistan any country can be afghanistan when it comes to the un's uh, the u.s uh, measures regarding like the withdrawal of um, the trade agreements the suspension of tra- trade agreements i think it's it's a um, um it's a good measure but it's very very late have been taken months ago to stop the crisis and it's i mean even 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 though it's late it's it, it is great that the us decided to, to do that when you provide ethiopia with that kind of with those kind of access when it's committing uh, human rights abuses as it does now when it's buying uh, lethal weapons from countries that the us doesn't want to trade with from iran from turkey and china and other countries uh, drones and all kind of lethal weapons why would the us why should the us provide this kind of government access to free, free market in, in the in the US. So it's it only makes sense that the US uh, actually suspended Ethiopia's, Ethiopia's right to, to, to access the US market. It, it, will it hurt the Ethiopian economy? Yes, definitely. Many of the investments, particularly Chinese investment recently in Ethiopia in the last 10, 15 years, were uh, in the hope that the, they could produce in Ethiopia and export to, to the US market and European market. So with the suspension of the free trade agreement now, it, there is no reason why Chinese investor would invest in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. uh, continue to invest in Ethiopia. They could invest in other countries which have uh, access to the US market, which have access to European market. So we will see we will have it will have significant effect on the economy it will have significant effect on people uh, who live off the salaries from this employment but of course it's only fair enough for for Tigrayans when the regime is trying to destroy everything that Tigrayans had it's only fair enough for me that Ethiopia is suspended from this so I know uh, I know you've said throughout this throughout our conversation that you don't think that there's any way of reconciliation, but people have been calling for a national dialogue. What do you think the benefits of that national dialogue would be? I think like, for example, if you're married to someone and if he's abusive, you would have to somehow find a way to, to, to depart. You, you would have to find a way to, to, to negotiate about how you, how you want to, to live after, 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 after like to live separately. So in a way, if, if 
there will ever be negotiation and dialogue with the ETP. It will be to to find a way to separate and to make a like amicable kind of separation without killing each other, without uh, without destroying and decimating each other. And uh, I hope the dialogues that, that that are coming would I mean the people who are pushing for dialogue would understand that and would would allow Tigrayans to voice their their concern, to voice their to, to tell their interests, what they are interested in, and to, to listen to the grants about what they want, what they want about their future. And what we, what the general public, I, I would say like 95, 98%, but that would be just the numbers, 95, 98% people would, would want to, to separate from this country. Because it just comes, keeps coming back and keeps, it keeps coming back to, to, to kill the population. So there's no point in, in staying here. As, as any person wouldn't want to, to stay with an abusive partner. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I say it. Yeah, and there does seem to be some growing popularity for it to become separated. I know that there were nine groups that formed a coalition to be anti-Ethiopian government, anti-federal Ethiopian government uh, that are pro-Tigray. And I've also read that they do have enough uh, militia f- to take the capital on command. So Correction, cor- correction. like the, the nine groups were not from Tigray. So, from from Tigray, we have the Tigrayan defense defense forces, which are the army, the army of Tigray at the moment, uh, who are fighting uh, their way down to, to Addis or I don't know to central central Ethiopia. And then you have the Oromo, the home base of the prime minister, which have turned against him. And then you have an Oromo Oromo Liberation Army, which is fighting for for the liberation of uh, of Oromia, the biggest region in the country. And they seem to, to 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 be succeeding recently. They have they have liberated lots uh, big chunks of part of uh, Oromia. So the the Tigray the TPLF, the Tigrayan Tigrayan People Liberation Front, and the OLA were one of two of the signatories of the, the agreement last week. And the other the other seven groups are also from different regions. Mm-hmm. So it's not they are not pro Tigray, but they are pro. Um, Either either stronger federation or confederation or probably there are some parties in Tigray that want full independence, which I which I also support. It seems that there binds them uh, truly as anti Abiy Ahmed. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I know that there is going to be an Eastern African bloc on November sixteenth. Can you explain what that is and which parties will be there? I I, I kind of find it very obscure. There is no. There's not so much uh, communication about, it, but I, I see that it's, uh, the president of Uganda and the president of uh, Kenya who are who are kind of organizing this. I haven't heard the East Afri- about the Eastern Africa block before. I know the East Africa community, which doesn't include Ethiopia, but this is a new new formation. I think in response to the crisis in in Ethiopia. And I hope that they they are trying to, to find a way to end the war, which 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 is uh, great, even though it's very late. Uh, and I, I hope that they they will find they will create some kind of mechanism to 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 to, to pressure uh, Abiy Ahmed to to sit and uh, sit for dialogue. But I I'm not really hopeful about that. I mean, everyone has tried. I mean, many many governments have tried. To, to, to bring him to, to dialogue, but he's been refusing throughout throughout the world, throughout the last one year. So I don't know if uh, Kenya, for example, has leverage on him to, to, to do something, or to, to pressure him, or Uganda has. I don't think they have that much leverage on him to, to, to push him to dialogue. 
even the US couldn't do that. So I don't know. I don't know how much that would, would change mm-hmm. uh, things on the ground. Well, yeah, hopefully hopefully there's some kind of resolution soon because every every hour something seems to be unfolding. Is there anything else that uh, you haven't shared with us yet today that you want to share? I think I think we I don't know if the world I mean the world is very difficult to, uh, thing to say, but we have been uh, to grind in the diaspora. We are we are very few people. We are but very loud to to to, to, ex, to some extent that people could actually hear us everywhere. So I see that Tigrayans are protesting everywhere in the world, in cities uh, across Europe and in the US and North America. And uh, I also see like Tigrayans very active on, online, but you don't see other grass, grassroots movements supporting our, like standing in solidarity with, with, with us at this crisis. We are like under huge crisis and we don't see, I don't see so much support from other similar people in similar situations or have been through similar situations. So I would, I would, lo- I would love to see other, uh, other groups supporting us. As a, I would love to see like ordinary citizens uh, sharing our concerns, sharing our, our, our uh, symp- sympathizing with our causes and uh, would be nice to, to see that. And I hope, I hope, to, I hope that they, they do. I hope they, they find out more information about the guy and uh, I hope they, they, they support our cause. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and for sharing all of your insights. This was in, this was an incredible interview and I just appreciate your time. And um, yeah, I just, I, I truly do hope that your family is all right and I'll, I'll keep up with you for that one. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me and for allowing me to tell the story. If you want to keep up with what Teklahe Manot is doing, go follow him on Twitter at Teklahe Manot G. And you can also keep up with his blog where he's telling personal stories as well as providing facts about the unfolding of what's happening in Tigray. His blog is teklahemanotblog.wordpress.com. It's hard to imagine what Teklahe Manot is going through. A Tigrayan in Norway who hasn't spoken with his family since June 2021. An ethnic cleansing is taking place right in front of us. Since the civil war began, Tigrayan political parties estimate anywhere between 20 to 30,000 people have been held in detention centers outside the main war zones. In the middle of broad daylight, they're being stopped by local police, rounded up, and forced onto buses to secret locations. Upon arrival, Tigrayans are detained, tortured, and often kept until they can pay their own release. Within the last year, disappearances, ethnic profiling, and mass arrests of Tigrayans have become part of the norm. As Tigrayan rebel forces advance closer to Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, the cycle of detention is repeated. Witnesses within the camp detail whippings, beatings, and shootings at night. All this for the simple crime of being part of a certain ethnic group. As Teklahe Manot mentioned, you can see these camps if you use satellite images. The three biggest detention centers have been identified are Awash Arba and Awash Sibat in the Afar region, and Gelen Warehouse on the outskirts of Addis Ababa. We cannot let this continue. We must hold the Ethiopian government accountable. Ethiopia implemented a media blackout at the beginning of the civil war in November 2020. This is partly why the topic hasn't been reported on. The other part, of course, is that the international community was at first in disbelief. 
How could the winner of the Nobel Peace Prize be the leader of a government body that would tolerate these crimes against humanity? We must raise our voices. We must keep this story alive. If you want to learn more about how you can help, go to globalrightsdefenders.com.